0: Hello and welcome to Queer as Fact. I'm Alice. I'm Hamish. I'm Eli. We're a twice-monthly queer history podcast coming out on the 1st and 15th of each month. Every episode, one of us will talk about a person, a place, or a topic from queer history. This week we're talking about 19th century artist Rosa Bonner. We don't have many content warnings for this episode. We do talk a bit about the Franco-Prussian War, including some of the deaths involved in that, but otherwise that's pretty much all. So if that's something you don't want to hear, you can check out any of our other episodes. We have content warnings at the start of all of them. Rosa was born Rosalie Marie Bonner in Bordeaux in France in 1822. Her father Raymond was a poor artist who made his living teaching art, and her mother was the illegitimate child of an aristocratic merchant. The family was quite poor. And in 1829 they moved to Paris for Raymond to find work. So in 1832, Raymond joined a religious and social reform movement which was called the Saint-Simonians. They focused on improving the world through education, industry, and fine arts, and one of their main focuses was equality between men and women. So Raymond's beliefs as part of this movement influenced Rosa throughout her life, and she said later, to his doctrines, I owe my great and glorious ambition for the sex to which I proudly belong, whose independence I'll defend till my dying day.
1: Well, that that's very progressive. That's really
0: good. Yeah, she comes from a very progressive family. I love it when women
2: have, like, permissive fathers in history, because then they can do stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, her father's not, like, ideal, but... Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> his role in the group led him to leave his family to go and live in a sort of... It's sort of like a monastery. It was a kind of Saint-Simonian retreat, Mm -hmm. which was in the northeast of Paris. Mm -hmm. And the family was only allowed to visit two days a week. And Rosa's mother was left at home to support the four children by herself. Rosa was the oldest child and she was 10 at the time. So is he not giving them money anymore? He's not giving them money because he's not working because he's off in this... What is he doing there? ...kind of religious retreat. Um,
1: I mean, if religious retreats are true to form men,
0: (laughs) it's specifically specified to be a celibate retreat. They all are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it was from this retreat that he was doing this at the time, but it was about sort of planning to go out and spread their doctrine. Okay. Kind of planning to be missionaries, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's reading, he did a lot of writing on the beliefs of the group and stuff like that, but he's not bringing in money to support his family. So he's
2: like, we should really, you know, promote equality for women. Anyway, I've abandoned my wife and four children.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty terrible. That's fine. It's not (laughs) fine.
2: That was potentially somewhat sarcastic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The government didn't like Saint-Simonians and the group was broken apart by the government later in 1832. They were charged with various things, including embezzlement, but also including having a public gathering of more than 20 people. So I don't think the embezzlement charge is a genuine reflection on the group. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But after being involved with that, Raymond struggled to find work because of stigma, and the family remained very, very poor. And the next year, in 1833, Rosa's mother died. I'm not sure exactly what she died of. The sources usually just say she died of exhaustion.
1: Wow, that's certainly a valid medical term.
0: Yeah. Mm. Rosa, just before her mother died, had scarlet fever, and her mother nursed her through scarlet fever, so she may have caught scarlet fever and died. It may have just been poverty and malnutrition and overwork. But she died. And she was buried in an unmarked grave, which was something Rosa was very upset about throughout her life. And Rosa said, My mother, the most noble and proud of creatures, succumbed to exhaustion and wretched poverty while my father was dreaming about saving the human race. Rosa never married, as we'll see. And it's probable that witnessing her parents' marriage and how that affected her mother's prospects in life influenced her view on marriage, and she said, had I ever married, domestic cares would have swallowed me up, as they did my mother. Rosa's father, as men at the time kind of were, wasn't expected to raise his children, being a single father, so her sister was sent away to live with an aunt, and Rosa, after being put in various apprenticeships that didn't work out for her, was sent off to boarding school. Her father, meanwhile, joined the Knights Templar.
2: Okay. (laughs) My weird organisation went away. I need a (laughs) weirder (laughs) organisation.
0: Yeah. Um, The Knights Templar were not the original Knights Templar from the Crusades, really, (laughs) (laughs) which had been destroyed, but they were a French anti-monarchist group. Mm -hmm. And Rosa was also inducted into the Knights Templar, and she was very inspired by that. She was given a little uniform and a little sword. How old is is she? I think she's about 11 or 12. Okay. I didn't know this occurred. (laughs) (laughs) She has
2: a tiny sword?
0: I think it's a wooden sword. That
2: would be wise.
0: Yeah. Mm. But she was very inspired by it and she went off to school with her little sword and she played knights with all her friends and she destroyed the school flower beds and she got expelled. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So having been expelled from school, Rosa had always actually wanted to study art. And so her father, once she'd finally been expelled from school, allowed her to study art. So she was kind of quite happy about this development. Hmm. Her father was her art teacher. She loved most of all painting animals, and she says, of her love of animals, You just cannot imagine how much I loved feeling some fine cow lick my head while she was being milked. (laughs) (laughs) Most of her paintings are of animals. She would often have a lot of animals in her studio. There was a little stool in the corner of the family studio where they kept them so she could paint them. And her art had a very wide popular appeal. One early buyer who was a linen merchant that they bought clothes from said, I don't understand much about art, but I know a good sheep when I see one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> how old is she when she's already selling paintings of sheep? She's quite young. She's in her early teens. Okay. Yeah. Are they, I'm just picturing children's drawings.
0: Uh, I can find some pictures of her early drawings that we'll put on our blog and okay. we can see how good she is.
2: <laughs> Do they get like notably, noticeably better
0: or is she um... just like solid from the get out? She's quite solid from the beginning, but like I, I don't know much about art, but okay, I assume yeah. they get noticeably better. If... We can't say French. We don't know anything about art. <laughs> why are we here? <laughs> She's gay.
2: Yeah, that's, that's why we're here. <laughs> Spoilers.
0: Spoilers. So, yeah, she was very successful, and pretty soon she was the one supporting the family because her father was terrible at financial management and not very successful. And also a cultist. <laughs> and in multiple secret societies, yeah. He encouraged her to sign his name on her artworks, and sell them as his artworks, she refused. Oh, good. Fair enough. And she signed them with Rosa, which was the nickname that her mother called her. In 1836, when she was 14, Raymond was commissioned to paint 12-year-old Natalie Micus who was the daughter of a wealthy manufacturing family. And around this time, Rosa had had a dream in which she saw a pale brown-haired girl descending an old staircase towards her. And when she went round to the Mike's house to accompany her father when he was doing his painting, she saw the staircase, she recognised the staircase, and then Natalie came down the staircase towards her, and she recognised the girl from her dream. This story comes from Rosa's biography, like, (laughs) take it with a grain of salt. This is what Rosa says happened. Natalie was a very pale, sickly child. Her parents wanted to have her portrait painted because they thought she was probably about to die of TB.
1: This is all very gothic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like the wholesome farm girl comes to the the big manor house and a sickly pale
0: woman descends the stairs. Yeah. And there's secret societies and prophetic dreams. It's also paintings of sheep. Yeah, there are paintings of sheep, (laughs) that's true. So the Bonner and Micah's families became very close. Natalie and Rosa became friends. With the encouragement of Natalie's parents, Rosa rented her own studio so she could start kind of having her own career separate from her father. So Natalie would come and meet her at her studio. And they would work hard at art, and Rosa would help teach Natalie to draw. And then they would stop and grill food over their little cast iron stove. Natalie began to recover from her illness. She didn't die of TB. Well, that's good. Which is a good outcome. So Rosa said of this time, Natalie would come to my little studio every morning. There we worked and lived, just the two of us, never opening the door to any flirting men.
1: Was that a problem? Were they like (laughs) door-to-door Mormons?
0: (laughs) Rosa's father had remarried. And Rosa's stepmother was pretty determined at matchmaking. So I think two of Rose's four siblings married relatives of the stepmother. And she was kind of hoping to set Rose up. And Rose was just not interested at all. How old is she now? So this is from when she's in her early teens till when she's about 26. Okay. Is Natalie like the same age? Natalie's she... about a year younger, I think. Okay. Two years younger, maybe. Yeah, they're about the same age. And in 1848, when she's 26, Natalie's father died. And on his deathbed, he acknowledged Natalie and Rosa's relationship as being very important. And he said to Rosa's father, let our two children stay together always. You see how much they love each other. Rosa needs Natalie to love and protect her. Before he died, he blessed Natalie and Rosa and he said never leave each other's side, my dear children and may God keep you. And Rosa says Natalie and I were always together after that. The next year, Rosa's father died. The next year in 1849 when Rosa is 27 Mm -hmm. Rosa's father died. So once he died, Rosa left her family so that's her stepmother and her three younger siblings to move in with natalie and natalie's mother and rosa's stepmother was quite angry about this but rosa said wasn't i entitled to follow my heart and go live with my friends had i married would i have stayed with her but she continued to provide financial support for her family through her art
2: so natalie's her wife
0: yeah natalie is conceptually her wife at this point. Natalie, despite having recovered from her supposedly deadly TB, was still quite sick, and she's quite sick throughout her life. And so in 1853, Natalie's mother paid for Rosa and Natalie to take a holiday to the Pyrenees together, and then also to Brussels. They really enjoyed the Pyrenees, but they didn't enjoy Brussels, and Rosa writes that there was no bread, only potatoes, and that's her greatest complaint about her visit to Brussels. Sorry, Brussels. (laughs) Sorry, Brussels. She was also really upset that they drank water with their meals, not beer or wine. She couldn't cope with that.
1: That is kind of a weird thing at that time.
0: Mm, Yeah, I don't know why that was in that area. I would have assumed they would have drunk beer, but... But the interesting thing about these holidays is that both Natalie and Rose are dressed in trousers and rode their horses astride rather than side saddle during their travels.
2: Side saddle is just honestly such a dumb concept. Yeah, I can't envision how side saddle is a secure way to sit on a horse. I've been in a side saddle and it's bad did you fall off the horse no but i didn't feel stable like at like, any point yeah mm.
1: yeah like i've fallen off horses plenty of times astride and i would not want to yeah. do anything sideways
0: yeah and people like gallop side saddle
2: how how do you trot side saddle you can't post side saddle, can you? I don't. I've never been side
0: saddle on a horse.
2: You just have to go straight from like zero to 60. <laughs> no in between. Yeah.
0: I, I don't really know. But anyway, they didn't ride side saddle. Anyway, yes. side saddle is dumb. Yeah. They rode horses sensibly. They rode horses sensibly. But actually, at this time, it was illegal for a woman to wear pants in France. Oh, really? So this was quite a big deal. And they risked fines and possibly even jail time. But...
1: but wait, weren't they in Belgium? On their way. Right, right.
0: When they were in the Pyrenees. Okay, yeah. But you could seek a permit to wear trousers <sighs> for health reasons.
1: Okay. I would very much like to get a copy of this form.
0: I have a copy of this form and I'll post it on our blog.
2: Please. Of oh, course. <laughs> I gonna
0: mean, have a copy of Rosa's permit that she got. Okay. It's not entirely clear how she managed to get this permit because there were no health reasons why Rosa couldn't ride a horse side saddle.
1: I mean, given the state of health education she could have just said i have some sort of hand wavy lady problems and they'd be like mm. i'm too embarrassed to ask what that is so let's go
2: <laughs> that's probably true did you have to get a certificate or something yeah 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 yeah? Okay.
0: yeah she has like a signed form that i assume she had to carry with her i guess if like a cop stopped her and was like what's those pants she would have been like here's "It's my fine.
2: pants permit oh yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah my
2: trouser license here's my trouser <laughs> license <laughs>
0: Yeah, so her and Natalie got their trouser (laughs) licenses. This instance of riding her horse astride is not the only time we see Rosa wear men's clothing. She's pretty often in the habit of wearing men's clothing. She also had quite short hair, which had been cut when her mother died because she had no mother to look after her long hair. And so she's generally described as appearing quite masculine. But Rosa liked to make it clear that she didn't not wear women's clothing out of any disdain for it or out of any disdain for her female identity or femininity. And she actually said, I strongly disapprove of women who refuse to wear normal clothes because they want to pass themselves off as men. If I thought trousers suited women, I would have given up on skirts altogether. But that's not the case. Women's clothes are quite simply always in the way.
2: So wait, why does she not like women wearing men's clothes? What was the reason she gave in the middle there?
0: Her, I think she says, I don't like it. I strongly disapprove of women who wear men's clothes to pass themselves off as men, but there are definitely instances of Rosa passing herself off as a man, which we'll come to. Well, I suppose we should
2: talk about the reasons for those then and return so,
0: to this. Yeah, we'll talk about this a little bit. I'll give you some more background and reasons and then we can think about that. Rosa's reasons for wearing trousers, other than the fact that skirts are physically inhibiting, is she spent much of her time in the male sphere so for her work she would go to horse fairs and she would go to slaughterhouses to see animals and to paint animals
2: she went to slaughterhouses to paint animals
0: yeah she did she painted some sort of like on the way to the slaughter kind of painting and stuff
2: mm. half cow in moonlight
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah and she enjoyed going out riding and hunting and so trousers made it easier for her to physically move around Also easier for her to sort of stay safe and not draw attention to herself as a woman in a space without any women in it. Another thing she liked about wearing trousers was it enabled her to smoke without judgment. So it was more acceptable for men than women to smoke. So is she being perceived as
2: a man when she's smoking and in all of these all-male environments, or is she just less immediately notable?
0: It's, sometimes people do meet her on the street and think they're speaking to a man. Sometimes uh-huh. it is that it's just, you know, if you glance at the room, you don't go, oh, there's all these men and this woman. Yes. So it's just not an obvious standout. So it's not all the time one or the other. Okay. In terms of smoking, she often wore trousers under her skirt, either because she'd gotten changed quickly or for ease of changing back into the trousers. And in terms of smoking, there was one point when she was in Paris and she was smoking and her agent said to her, Rosie, you can't do that. You can't be smoking in public. And so she just kind of pulled off her skirt and was like, don't worry, I'm in trousers now. And continued smoking.
2: <laughs> and just held the skirt, <laughs> held like curtains, amount of fabric over I think she so
0: was like smoking. at or
2: near her carriage and oh, it just okay. kind of like went into the carriage. I'm actually gonna, handing it to the agent and yeah. be like, take care of that. <laughs>
0: She also enjoyed, once she got more famous from her art, she enjoyed dressing in male clothing, walking out the streets, not being identified as Rosa Bonner, and, like, striking up casual conversation with people where they might happen to talk about what they thought (laughs) of Rosa Bonner. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) Seen any good horse paintings lately? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not really sure if she just kind of waited for this to drop into conversation, or if she was like, so what do you think of that artist? (laughs) I'm going to stop here, because that was most of my background on her Mm -hmm. wearing trousers. If anyone had Mm -hmm. any additional comments they wanted to make about that, now we know as much as we can about her reasons. I mean,
2: I still don't really get the distinction she's making between... No, I don't either.
0: I don't either.
1: Do we know what the context of that statement was? Was someone saying, I don't approve of you wearing pants, and she's like, "I, I, I certainly don't approve of people wearing pants either, good buddy.
0: I'm not entirely sure. I can't recall the exact context of that quote, I'm afraid. Okay,
1: because I could definitely see something like that being defensive.
0: Mm, that's true, that's true. But we'll continue, and it'll come up again if you have any more thoughts.
2: So she's just kind of being like, oh, I just do it for ease. I don't do it to pass myself off as a man. Anyway, I'm going to go to this horse show now, where coincidentally I'll be taken as a man for the entire duration. Yeah. And yeah, day.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, she also might have just been carrying around a double pocket full of internalised homophobia. I think Mm. it's probably important not to try and put the
0: best light on everything. That's very true, yeah. That is very true. Yeah, so Rosa was getting more famous. And she didn't really like the attention she received from being famous. She preferred just kind of like hide in her house and paint. Uh, we know she was receiving a lot of fan mail because she used to not like reading her fan mail, but Natalie used to bring it to her and read her the funny parts of the fan mail. That's kind of cute. And eventually Rosa decided that she was going to move out of Paris, out to the country, to a house where she could be far away from everyone. She said, it had to be far away from any commotion and so isolated that I could let myself go and live in the forest and the fish. So uh, the house she found was a chateau in the town of B which is hell to Google, because it's spelt B-Y and is just the word by. She bought the house in 1859, and she moved in at the end of that year, along with Natalie and Natalie's mother. They also had a maid called Celine, who worked at the house, and Celine, apparently, Rosa doesn't like actively confirm this, but it probably happened, used to take out their horse and cart and drag it along the driveway to make it look like Rosa had left the house for the day, so no visitors <laughs> would come and see her. <laughs> okay, so this is a good moment for us to talk a bit about Natalie now that the two of them have got their own nice little house together. One friend of Rosa and Natalie talks about seeing the couple and says, Nothing was more comical than seeing this couple together. Rosa Bonheur, who in her blouse looked like a lad, and that tall, lank, pale woman with her head crowned by a big hat with black and red plumes, who pronounced with a prophetic and dramatic tone pompous periods which had neither head nor tail. What? <laughs> she was just very kind of melodramatic and very I like her. overdressed. And, yep, she's good.
2: I mean, I guess having TB as a child.
0: I don't know. Just... She was like, "It's a gothic novel, okay? I'm doing it."
2: Commit, yeah. <laughs> commit really hard, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, she had a couple of hobbies which I enjoy. One of them was veterinary medicine.
1: Sure, I every like every little girl's dream. <laughs> it certainly synergizes very well with her partner's
0: profession. It does because yeah. Rose kept a lot of animals at the house. And so Natalie looked after them. Right. So what types of animals? I have a list and Excellent. then some extra ones, which we'll talk about. So okay. one list from while they were looking at his house said they had one horse, mm-hmm. one goat, one otter, seven lapwings, two hoopos, which I think are the type of monkey. Yeah. No, no, no. A
1: hoopoe is a, a type of bird.
0: Oh, a bird. It's okay. A bird. What's a, Is a lapwing a bird? Yes. A lapwing is a bird. Okay. What
2: the one being? monkey. Yeah. Well, you know, I thought it was worth confirming. Yeah. Fair. Yeah.
1: Like it could be a lizard or something, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a bird.
2: I assumed it was bird.
1: No, I've heard I've heard the word
2: before, and I've been like, sounds bad. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the other thing I would believe it is is like
0: an insect of some sort, and we can probably rule those out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one monkey, one sheep, one donkey, two dogs. Um, I'm trying to think what else she had. She had lions at one point.
2: Oh wow, <laughs> multiple lions, but only one horse. <laughs> She gets more horses. That was just like a specific list from one time. Yeah. I was just imagining her like painting the horse and just painting it in different colours. She was painting multiple horses.
0: She also had Shetland ponies. There's a little sketch that a friend did of her. with her Shetland ponies in the forest.
1: So at least 1.5 horses.
0: So 1.5 horse. The otter used to escape from its tank and crawl into Natalie's bed. And Natalie would get in bed and be like, oh no. That's
1: adorable. That is quite cute. Do we know... Because, as we've learned, this is an important source of comedy material. Yes. Do we know what the monkey's name was?
0: <laughs> no, I know that she had both a squirrel when she was a child and a mm-hmm. boar when she was an adult called Kiki. Okay. She had a dog called Wasp. <laughs> trying to not think of other ones. Her lions, one was called Nero, one was called Fatma. But no, okay. I don't know the monkey's name. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I do have another story about the monkey, and I'm trying to remember if this was from when she was living in this house or early when she was a child, if she had a different monkey – but the monkey, because it was a monkey, it used to try and imitate her and do what she was doing. And so the monkey used to try and paint. And Aww. sometimes when she went out, it would get paint and start painting her canvas for her. <laughs>
2: oh, my God. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's
2: fantastic. Excellent. You could sell that for a lot of money these days.
0: You could. Yeah. But at the time, you could not. <laughs> do
2: we need to get a monkey?
0: I think we do need to get a yeah, monkey. We need
2: a new microphone. We have to get a monkey as an in in-between step. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Natalie's other interest was engineering.
2: Okay. She
0: has such serious hobbies. She does, yeah. She's not a chill person in any way. So she designed a new brake for steam trains, and in the gardens of the chateau, she built a little steam railway so she could test out her new steam train brake, and she used to invite all her friends over to come and ride on her train and test the brake.
1: That is fantastic. And
0: sometimes it wouldn't work and they would all just kind of <laughs> fall out of the train. <laughs> So she started a train and was like,
2: maybe it'll stop, maybe it yeah. won't, get on. Yeah, <laughs> and her friends were like, okay, and they
0: did.
1: <laughs> Seven, slightly muddied in horrible train accidents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it was like a very small train and nobody got hurt. Eventually, she like successfully designed the steam train brake and she patented it. And no one would take it seriously because she was a woman and she wasn't a qualified engineer. Lame. Lame, yeah, like a year or so later, another man designed essentially the same thing and it went into use.
1: I can see the like... This person isn't a qualified engineer, thing
2: though.
0: I mean, she could prove it worked with her yeah. home railway. <laughs> That's such commitment. Yeah, just build a little railway in my yard. Yeah, yeah, where my lions live. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Rosa owned the house, mm-hmm. and Natalie's mother had a thirty-year lease on the house on her rooms of the house, which was set up so it would transfer to Natalie on her mother's death. Right. And um, Rosa said. You understand that the point of all this mumbo-jumbo was to set up a union that nothing short of death could disrupt. That's pretty clear. Yep, that's pretty clear. It's getting (laughs) clearer in a minute. So Natalie and her mother looked after the kitchen, looked after the animals, did the housework, and that gave Rosa time to focus on her painting. And Natalie also kind of worked as Rosa's agent negotiating the sale of her paintings and stuff like that. I feel like Natalie has four jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Natalie does have four jobs, and she's also, like, quite sickly. (laughs) Yeah, so Rosa did absolutely see this as being a marriage. And she said, What would my life have been without Natalie's love and devotion? Yet people tried to give our love a bad name. Had I been a man, I would have married her, and nobody could have dreamed up all these silly stories.
2: So they're married. So they're married. We always have women who have wives.
0: Yeah, there's just a lot of women out there who just had wives, and everyone's kind of fine about it.
2: We just accidentally do this so often.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was quite... common. She does say... Nobody would have dreamed up all these silly stories, and I'm not clear on what the silly stories about the couple were, or what sort of problems they faced as Mm. a female couple living in this time. I think it was probably things like, and we see this later on in her life, Natalie being accused of just kind of living off Rosa and Mm. stuff like that.
2: Well, if she'd been allowed to paint her steam engine, (laughs) right?
0: That's true. She could have brought in money for the family. Um, in 1880, when Rosa was awarded the title of Commander of the Royal Order of Isabella the Catholic for her art, she wrote to her sister and she said, Natalie is as proud as the wife of an old soldier.
1: So she was getting a lot of recognition for her art.
0: Yeah, she she was quite famous. Queen Victoria, actually, at one point. One of her paintings, The Horse Fair, Queen Victoria requested that it come over to England. And Rosa went over with her painting to England to show it to Queen Victoria. Like, she was incredibly well known. Well, Yeah. She has been called the most famous female artist of the 19th century. I'd never heard of her.
1: (laughs) 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 To be fair, I don't know that I actually know any female artists from the 19th century.
0: That's true. I don't think I could name a more famous one. So, yeah.
2: I barely know painters from the 19th century,
0: though. Like Monet and
2: stuff. Yeah. But, like, Monet and stuff. (laughs) And Gogh,
1: And um, the big English
2: landscape turner? painter turner there you go
0: yeah
2: that's such a generic name that i'm vaguely aware that there's like an english landscape painter but if you ever ask me his name i'm just like mm, no.
1: oh yeah, yeah we, we could just like throw names at the wall so it looks like we know painters smiths scott <laughs> johnson <Carson>. yeah
0: <laughs> so during the time they lived together both natalie and rosa received several marriage proposals from men which they always turned down just like random dudes or there's no, like, specific men that came mm-hmm. up in her biography, so it's like this man she was quite close to and wanted to marry her. So, yeah, I guess just random dudes. Cool. I mean, I guess once you get, like, rich and famous. Yeah, that's probably true. Once you're rich and famous. yeah. And there's, like, two single women who are rich and famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to yeah. propose to them.
1: Someone rocks up and is like, hello, I'm attractive. I would like to exchange that for money now, please.
0: Mm. Pretty much, yeah. But Rose always said that the vows that they'd made on Natalie's father's deathbed, saying they would stay together forever, were very important to her and that she was never going to leave Natalie for a man. She also said, In the way of males, I only like the bulls that I paint. (laughs) In
2: 1870,
0: in August, France declared war on Prussia.
1: That'll go well.
0: That goes terribly. (laughs) Uh, Prussian soldiers were advancing towards Paris. B is in between Prussia and Paris. Prussia invaded France quite successfully. Rosa describes her reaction to this as, I had a patriotic fit. So she was very determined to defend her home. She rounded up weapons and all her friends who knew how to shoot from like hunting together and stuff like that. She had them undertaking military exercises in her home. So she planned to organize all her friends who could shoot into a citizen's militia mm-hmm. to help fight off the Prussians. And she took her citizen's militia to the mayor. And then she says, However sad he was about the deplorable state of the nation, the mayor couldn't hold back a smile that froze me down to the depths of my soul when he saw that there was a woman trying to lead a citizen's militia. And he told her she should confine herself to rolling bandages and sending supplies off to the front, but she didn't. She regularly trained with the uh, local home guard, which was all male except for her, mm. and she would go out with her neighbours and they would go and shoot Prussian sentinels in the forest.
2: Okay. Well.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> See, you made this sound way more sporting and jocular <laughs> than it must have been.
0: Well, I think that was something I was going to say. Is the tone of this part of her biography, which is. I'll talk a bit more about this later, but I'd say something like a ghost-written autobiography okay, mm. is very kind of jovial, and I had to kind of look up the Franco-Prussian war to be like, oh no, they were really like genuinely at war and people were dying and huh. people were starving to death. But she's like pretty like jovial about it, and occasionally she also writes letters saying, I might die soon. But yeah, the tone was weird. <sighs> I definitely
2: thought this would be a kind of Enid Blanton vibe episode. And it has been just also she's shooting people in the
0: woods. Yeah, yeah. I was confused by how serious this situation was when I was doing
2: this
1: research. The famous five conduct guerrilla warfare. <laughs> oh my god.
0: She talked about, and I don't know if she ever did this, wiring her home with explosives, so if the Prussians invaded the town she could blow it up and they wouldn't get it. Oh wow. I don't know if she ever did. It wasn't clear, but I hope she did <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: definitely imagining Natalie like twenty years later being like, darling
0: <laughs> Did I <they> ever defuse <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I feel like Natalie was probably in charge of the explosives. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah.
1: Oh, I want to read this adventure of <laughs> hmm. I suppose if you're, like, 25 people picking off lone sentries in the woods, then it, it seems like you don't have much danger coming back at you, and it's kind of, like going out for some partridge shooting, boys and girls. And I can see how that would be kind of fun and pastoral and everyone would get to put the hunting boots on mm. and go and shoot living people with families. Mm.
2: Yeah. If she's couching this in like, you know, this
0: deep, deep patriotism as
2: mm-hmm. well.
0: So actually Rosa was quite safe because Prince of Prussia, Frederick Charles, was a fan of hers. <laughs> wow. And one day during the war, Somebody came and delivered her a letter, which was a letter of safe conduct from the Prince of Prussia, saying, you know, yes, we've taken over your country, but we're not going to harm you or your home. And okay. Rosa was very angry, and she tore up the letter, and she oh. said, I won't be treated any better than the peasants in my village. I'm not standing for this.
1: But darling, I already
2: started unrigging the explosives. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing is just Natalie putting up and taking down <laughs> explosives.
0: And at one point... Frederick Charles actually dropped by the house.
2: No, <laughs> did she take him hostage?
0: <laughs> so he turned up at the door. Yeah, and the maid Celine was there, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Oh, I'd like to come in and see the studio. Like, I'm a massive fan." And they were like, "Get out of here!" And so he left. And um, then Rosa was talking to Celine later, and she was like, "You got rid of him, right?" And Celine was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then Celine was like, "Oh, he wanted to take some paintbrushes as a souvenir." But I was like, "No, get out of here!" And Rosa was like, "Oh." You should have just given him the (laughs) (laughs) pink. I can't get a read on this at all. (laughs) Nor can I. Yeah, okay. But yeah, so she did get safe conduct, despite tearing up her letter. And so there was one story. Her servants went into town with the wagon to buy some food for them. And the Prussian soldiers in town tried to requisition their wagon. And the servants knew about this safe conduct. And they sort of went, no, 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 that's Rosa Bonheur's wagon. You can't take this wagon. And the Prussian soldiers went, no, we need this wagon. We need to get the wounded out. Like, we need to save people's lives. And the servants were like, well, you're soldiers and you've taken the wagon now. And the next day they brought it back and they were like, look, we were sorry. It was an emergency, but now we've saved those people. We brought back your wagon because, like, we respect you and our prince is a fan.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Nineteenth century, not even once.
0: Yeah. So, like, it's, it's weird. It's weird.
1: I can definitely imagine that for weeks afterwards, every wagon in town was Rosa Bonheur's wagon.
0: Yeah, there's another similar story about her horse. Mm-hmm. Not the same story, but like there's a similar thing where somebody's riding her horse, and then they're like, "Oh right, no, I'm riding Rosa's horse!" And the sentinels are like, "Sorry, sorry, keep going." <laughs> hmm. So
2: that does yeah. contribute to her having this kind of like adventure romp through the war. Where, yeah, you know, it's not really.
0: A Consequence because your wagon will just come back tomorrow. Yeah, she herself hmm. is perfectly safe.
2: Do
1: we know if she was still actively leading a militia at this time?
0: I got the impression she was actively leading a militia throughout the war. It's a very short war, okay. it's only a few months.
1: Because the other thing that I could picture happening is being like, I mean, don't play the house, it's kind of awkward now. <laughs> you know?
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah yeah she was very happy when they dropped by the house that her stag sort of as they walked past the stag jumped into the pond it was probably frightened like <laughs> by the walking past, but it splashed mud all over their nice uniforms oh, and she was weird. really happy so
2: well, it jumped into the pond <laughs> i don't know it just awkwardly was like oh i'm here now i guess i'll pretend
0: it was deliberate <laughs> <laughs> i don't know the war which had started in august 1870 ended in january 1871 and armistice was declared And everything was kind of fine. That's not a true statement about, like, French politics, but from Rosa's point of view, that's her interaction with international affairs. Four years later, Natalie's mother died, which was very hard on both Natalie and Rosa, but Rosa also says that it brought them together and it strengthened their relationship. They lived together for a further 14 years, but Natalie had always been quite sick, and in 1889, she died at their home in B, in Rosa's arms.
1: How old was she?
0: She would have been in her 60s. Okay. So she lived a reasonable life for someone who was supposed to die of TB at 12. Yeah. Rosa was absolutely heartbroken. She stopped painting for several months. Uh, She sold the villa where they had spent their winters down in Nice for a very low sum because she just wanted to get rid of it. She couldn't bear to see that place where they'd spent time together. Even five years later, she said, Since my dear Natalie has gone from me, the world is an object of indifference. Mm -hmm. So for many years after Natalie's death, she lived largely in solitude and she took refuge in her painting. The same year that Natalie died, Rosa met, for the first time, an American woman named Anna Kumke. Like Rosa, Anna was an artist. She was currently studying in Paris, but she came from San Francisco. In 1889, while Rosa was 63, Anna was just 29. Anna had heard of Rosa, who was very famous, while she was growing up. She had idolised her, she had been one of her inspirations to become an artist. And like many girls in America at that time, Anna had had a Rosa Bonheur doll as oh a my child. God. Of the
1: of the person
0: of the person, yeah, a doll of Rosa, which was reasonably common for American girls at the time to have. Little weird.
2: Yeah, about to hook up. Yeah. A little weird. <laughs> mm. Yeah. A little bit. I don't feel like you at any point successfully conveyed how famous she is, and you just occasionally drop in things like Queen Victoria wanted her painting and. American girls had dolls of her. And we're just like, what the?
0: Yeah, because she spent her life just kind of in this little chateau, kind of in this little town in France. And she often said, you know, I could be much richer if I wanted to, but I'm not really interested in that. So Mm. she was quite isolated from the level of fame that she actually had in the world. So she was incredibly famous.
2: Do you have a picture of one of these dolls?
0: Ah, yeah, yeah. It's on the internet. I googled it while I was researching this episode. So we'll have a look and put it on the blog. Or you can Google it now and see how you feel. So um, they became friends. Uh, But Anna went back to America in 1891. Uh, She briefly returned in 1895. And on her meeting with Rosa at that time, she said, we had just stepped out of the train at Moray, which is the station where she's meeting Rosa, when a little old gent came right up and kissed me. I shrank back until I recognized Rosa Bonheur. So Rosa had thought it would be fun to dress as a man to come and meet Anna and not be recognized.
2: Oh, I see. Okay, cool.
0: Does she have like a fake mustache? i don't know i don't think she does but people often think she's a little old man at this point yeah
1: certainly um when everything starts to sort of wrinkle up <laughs> and all of your
2: gender markers are like pruney this sounds like someone being like this is how humans talk i am alien <laughs> undercover <laughs> when all of your gender markers am i right fellow
0: humans <laughs> so she visited rosa briefly in 1895 uh, Rose was very happy to see her, came up and kissed her at the train station, and sent Anna away with flowers and paintings. She asked for Anna to give her a portrait of herself to keep while Anna was gone. She also asked Anna to get her some buffalo grass from America, because she wanted to make a realistic painting of wild American horses in the prairies. So Anna went back to America. Buffalo grass grows in the absolute middle of nowhere, and she was like, how the hell am I going to get this? But she was very determined.
2: She got sent on her quest. <laughs> <laughs> by her childhood doll. Oh, wow.
0: She did. So she um ended up signing up for this, there was this Christian group that were going across America to the west coast to go to this kind of Christian conference there. And she signed up for that so she could be on the train going across the middle of America. And she kind of hoped that, you know, the journey's going to be very boring, they're going to stop on the way to make it interesting, I'll get out and get some grass. Mm. But as the train went along, she was like, they're not stopping on the way. They're trying to get this done as soon as possible. (laughs) And she had to go up to the drive and be like, look, this is the story. I just really need some of that grass. And they were like, ah. And she was like, it's for Rosa Bonheur. And they were like, fine. Mm -hmm. So they stopped the train and she got out of the train and got her grass. And everyone else on the train was like, what the hell is going on? And then she got back on the train. She posted her grass to Rosa. (laughs) It was all good.
1: So why are you here on this Christian mission, young lady? (laughs) Well, I would like to bang a lady. (laughs) I also need to kill five giant rats. Bring her their pelts.
0: (laughs) Anyway, she's got the grass, Mm -hmm. so she sends it back to Rosa, and they have a correspondence going on. Anna is a portrait artist, and she really wants to paint Rosa's portrait, but she's too scared to ask. Aww. And she's talking to a friend about it, and her friend says to her, The woman who writes you these sweet letters won't say no. Besides, doesn't she want to see you again? She said so twice, didn't she, in the same letter. Anna talks about planning for ages to write this letter, kind of planning out the letter in her head and then chickening out and not writing the letter and writing the letter and not sending the letter. This oh <laughs> This is relatable content.
1: I just connected (laughs) with Anna way more than I expected
0: to. (laughs) (laughs) But eventually she sits down, she writes the letter, and she says, you know, it was the 14th of September. This date is seared in my brain. Mm. I finally wrote and sent this letter saying, can I paint your portrait? And she just doesn't get a reply. Oh. And she thinks, you know, what's happened? And eventually it gets to New Year, and she thinks, it's okay, I'll send her a Happy New Year letter, and just, Mm. like, you know, pretend that never happened, and we'll continue our correspondence. And um, she sends a Happy New Year letter. And Rosa gets back to her and says, oh, and, you know, you never got back to me about that portrait. And Rosa had received her letter and written her reply saying, you know, of course, I'd love for you to paint my portrait and it got lost in the mail.
1: Oh, This is such a (laughs) rom-com.
0: And Rosa said, you know, she received Anna's letter and she said, I treasured it, I memorized it, Hmm. I wrote back straight away, and eventually they sorted it out. Man, this would have been so much easier
1: with texting. Mm
0: -hmm. Hey, can I paint you? Sure.
1: Smiley emoji.
0: <laughs> Hot emoji. Anna writes in her biography, Victory was mine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice.
0: She heads back to France at the first opportunity and she um, thinks she's going to be gone for about three months, paint the portrait, come back home to America. Spoilers, that's not what happens. <laughs> <laughs> she arrives on the 11th of June to paint the portrait. Mm-hmm. So they didn't start painting until after the 13th because Anna was superstitious and she wouldn't paint on the 13th. So the idea was that Anna would stay at B with Rosa, while well, she painted this painting, then she would head home. Uh, Rosa... They get married, don't they? Yeah, they get married. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, Rosa chose to wear a dress for the portrait, saying, I don't like the idea of appearing at the Salon, which was the major art exhibition in Paris, mm. in my smock. I want to leave posterity the image of me in women's clothes. Okay. Uh, but for all the sitting, she wore her smock because she didn't want to bother putting on a dress. And um, she ended up really liking the studies, the little sketches that Anna had done of her in her smock, And so Anna ended up painting two portraits. So one in a dress and one in a smock. Rosa was a very difficult subject to paint. She refused to sit for long. She refused to sit every day. Um, When she did sit for Anna, she was very critical of Anna's work. And she would say, oh, you know, you need to do more studies. You need to do more preliminary sketches. You can't just start straight on the canvas. That's not how people paint. That's wrong. I mean, that definitely sounds like somebody who's painted animals their whole life,
1: where they don't think it's
2: important to sit still for long.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's probably true as well, yeah. She wasn't keen to, like, sit down for a few hours and have her portrait painted.
2: I'm just imagining her now moving her easel after a, like, grazing cowl. <laughs> a <laughs> oh, little buggy.
0: She did specifically say that if she was painting an animal and it moved, she had to just, like, accept that and paint in the new pose and hope it returned to the old pose. <laughs> One of Anna's teachers, Tony Robert Fleury, said to her that Anna was making a mistake in agreeing to stay at B while she painted Rosa and she should just get her studies done and then go to her own studio and paint there and it would be less stressful and frustrating. Mm. Um, And Rosa didn't want Anna to do that. Rosa wanted Anna to stay with her. And uh, Tony said, you may be making a mistake in letting her entice you to remain there. You'd be much freer in a rented studio. Try and change her mind. That may be hard because she's so bossy and seductive all at the same time. (laughs) So Anna was getting very frustrated with that. But despite that conflict, they also grew very close and they got along very well. Rosa taught Anna to smoke without making faces.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How does she smoke? Like with a pipe or with a...
0: I think it's a pipe. Yeah. But she may also smoke cigars. I can't remember.
2: One in each hand.
0: And also, one day, Rosa was talking to Anna and said that although Rosa was very popular in America, she'd never actually received any kind of awards over there. And Anna said, you know, well, you deserve an award from an American. And so she went out to the garden and she picked some laurel leaves and she made Rosa a little wreath and she put it on her head. And Rosa was very, very happy with this.
1: That's brilliant.
0: And she hung it up on her wall and she kept it for the rest of her life. Um, Before we continue, I have to read you my favourite segment from Anna's diary in this time. After dinner, Mademoiselle had me admire her beautiful trees and took me into the paddock where she used to keep the stag that was her model for the King of the Forest, which is her famous stag painting. Then she said in a brisk tone, I see you're not taking my advice. You prefer Mr. to your Tony's, so he's the one who said that Anna should have her own studio. Slow down, and don't take him too literally. As I made no reply, she unhooked a heavy chain from a grate and shot me a mischievously threatening look. This is still good for tying up a naughty beast. Like an Anna Klumke, I said. That's right, she laughed. And Anna Klumke. I'd love to tie her up so she'd have to start my portrait over and over again. Wow, okay. <coughs> yeah. Well, yeah,
1: that. Uh, so that occurred. It definitely sounded at first like I got a vibe of if you screw up my portrait, I'll bury you in the woods. Oh my <laughs> god.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all.
1: But then it got queer and sexy. So maybe then it what?
0: got queer and sexy. <laughs> While Anna had been staying with Rosa, at one point Rosa had given Anna a palette which Rosa had signed as a memento for her to take back to America with her when she left. Mm-hmm. And um, one day when Anna had been there for about a month and a half, Rosa asked if she could borrow the palette because she needed another one for her painting and Anna wasn't using it. And um, Anna said that Rosa couldn't because Anna wanted to keep it on covered in paint to remember Rosa by when she returned to Boston where she was living in America. And um, Rosa responded, oh, so you really love me? And Anna said, yes, believe me. And um, in Anna's diary, she then writes, since then we've scarcely exchanged a word, but sometimes she stares at me with great intensity.
2: She sounds like such an intense person. I think she,
0: yeah. Yeah. So I think we know where this is going, so I'm going to tell you because I like this. The Mm. next chapter of um, the biography, which Anna wrote of Rosa, is titled, Rosa Bonheur makes me promise to live with her forever after. Well, that's a concise <laughs> chapter title. <laughs> yeah, it definitely escalates, though. It <laughs> <laughs> does escalate. The next day, I'll read you the excerpt from the diary. Late this afternoon, Rosa Bonheur came into the studio where I was working. She turned around and placed her hands on my shoulders. While I gazed at her in surprise, she asked in tones of tender supplication, Anna, will you stay here and share my life? Hmm. So Anna is pretty overwhelmed by this. And she's kind of not sure how to react. And so she tells Rose, you know, I have to think about this. This is a big deal. Um, So she goes away to her room to think about it. And that night they have dinner together. And Anna says, like, it's pretty silent. It's pretty awkward.
1: Oh, no. They don't
0: really know where they stand. And after dinner, Rosa sits her down and is like, no, we need to talk about this. So um, they sit down, they talk, and Rosa confesses to Anna that the reason she was such a difficult subject to paint and would never sit for Anna and would always critique her was because she wanted her to take a long time painting her because she didn't want her to go home.
1: That's <laughs> um, sweet in a creepy way.
0: Yeah, I don't know how I feel about or that. Or creepy in a sweet way. Yeah. I
2: also just like feel like if painting was my job and someone did that, no matter their intentions, I'd be like...
0: you'd be pretty mad yeah 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 no that's also true yeah so anna was trying to paint to a deadline for a specific exhibition and she was getting pretty frustrated and pretty worried that she actually wasn't going to make that deadline
2: so so far rose's tactics are screw up her painting ask
0: her to marry me forever i guess (laughs) yeah (laughs) look rose has been in a relationship with the same person since she was 14 she (laughs) kind (laughs) of don't forget threatened to tie her up in the woods
2: that's true there was that time also, or bring me some grass. <laughs> specific grass.
0: Hard to get grass. Yeah.
1: Or promise to tie her up in the woods.
0: Probably a yeah. Anna's response to that exchange about tying her up in the woods was kind of like, oh, but, but then I wouldn't be able to finish your painting if I was tied up. And Rosa was kind of like, you're missing the point. <laughs> okay, I do want to, before we talk about lesbian bondage, I do want to clarify that we're not clear at any point that this is a sex thing. There is no mention of Rosa or either Natalie or Anna having sex or even sharing a room or sharing a bed. Rosa does say at one point, I never had any lovers. But I mean, that's a bit difficult to talk about because she uses the male word for lovers, which you know, that's both I never had any male lovers and both I never had any lovers because in French, the male is used for the general mm. group of male and female. So that's not entirely clear. But Yeah, I would not jump to the conclusion that this was a sex thing. Okay. Mm. Eventually, after they had this awkward dinner and this awkward talk, (laughs) Anna made up her mind that she was going to stay with Rosa forever, and they exchange vows of love, and Anna writes in her diary, I really cannot believe this unexpected bliss. I am now Rosa Bonheur's friend and adoptive daughter. Okay. So, yeah.
1: This again. (laughs) This again. Is there any indication of, like, a misalignment of objectives,
2: or...?
0: I think... This is a very general statement that, you know, I don't have much evidence to back up, but I feel like I have seen more in earlier writing than we do in the modern day, people using things like daughter and son
1: okay.
0: when talking about lovers. Especially in the context of queer lovers when they kind of have to say, how can we make this a familial relationship?
2: Mm-hmm. Especially with an age difference like that.
0: Yeah, especially with something like that.
2: Is it any kind of formal adoption process, like with um, Nobuko?
0: She does make Anna the recipient of most of the... um. Most State. of her belongs in her will and of the estate. But she generally compares Anna, when she speaks to Anna, she compares Anna to Natalie in, like, in mm-hmm. that relationship. So she's conceptualizing it the same way she conceptualized her relationship to Natalie, which we know she's explicitly said, were I a man, we would have been married. Okay. Can, yeah. So Rosa was very excited that Anna had said yes to that, and she was very keen to tell all their friends. But uh, Anna was quite worried about what her family would think, specifically what her mother would think. And so she wanted to write to her mother first and kind of let her know the situation and work that out before they publicly said, we're going to live together forever. So Anna wrote to her mother. It's not clear what response Anna was expecting, but she says, my mother's letter, when her reply came back, made it clear that we still had some very real opposition to overcome. Anna's mother's concerns were that Rosa wasn't truly serious about taking Anna into her household, you know, being in a permanent union with her. And she was also worried about Anna giving up her promising art career in America to be basically a lady's companion in France. Her mother was very ambitious for Anna and all of Anna's sisters. The reason they'd moved to France was for Anna and her sisters to study, and the mother was very interested in them having careers and Mm. being very successful independent women.
1: And certainly if you see one of your daughters striking up with someone of wealth and prominence, then you have it in the back of your mind that that person can afford to discard them if they ever fall out of favour.
0: That's true, yeah. And I guess that is in the thing with her worrying that Rosa wasn't serious about it, that Mm. Rosa might get sick of her.
2: Also, this has just happened very quickly. They've known each other for quite some time. Yeah, but they went from, I'm going to visit you for like a month, to I'm living here permanently.
0: That is true, yeah, yeah. It is interesting, though, I did wonder, would Anna's mother have had the same concerns if Anna was marrying a man? Hmm. Because they're not gender-based concerns.
2: Maybe the thing would have been their if she was like, I'm getting married, is that it, it's not as easy to discard someone once you've married That's true. Them. That's true. Whereas there can't be that kind of legal...
0: Mm. Contract,
2: almost. Yeah, contract, you know, yeah. guarantee that she'll be looked after to some extent.
0: But in terms of giving up her career, like, she would have had to give yeah, up her that's, career that's if she married. Hmm. Yeah. Rosa had expected a reaction like this, to some extent, and she said, "'Many people take a dim view of women who live together. I've been battling that prejudice my life long.'" So to combat the concerns about her being able to just drop Anna if she got sick of her, she ensured that Anna remained financially independent, and she said she really wanted people to look on Anna as her equal. Hmm. So she set up Anna to be a recipient of her will. Anna also maintained her own income from her art, and she paid board in the house.
2: So is she still doing art and selling art, or is she surviving off of existing...
0: No, no, she's still doing art. She is still doing art. Yeah. So another concern that Rosa and Anna had, or mainly that Rosa had, I guess, was what they would do if Anna met and fell in love with a man. Mm. Anna had actually had a man back in Boston who had proposed to her before she came over to France. She hadn't said yes, but she hadn't said no, and she'd kind of said, look, I don't know, I'm going to go to France, we'll talk when I come back. And she didn't come back. (laughs) So (laughs) that was the end of that. But Rosa was concerned about this. And she said, Anna, if you ever fall in love with a man and want to marry, you're always free to leave. I only want you to be happy. sounds like it's going pretty well. Yeah. Like, she seemed to
2: make her secure, but also not obligated.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think, like, it's pretty well thought out Mm -hmm. in terms of kind of finances and everything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, Anna reassured Rosa that she was never going to marry while they were together. Rosa did describe Anna and her relationship as being a divine marriage of two souls.
1: Okay. Do we have any indication of what Anna recorded on the same topic?
0: All these quotes from Rosa come via Anna. Okay. So the major source on Rosa's life is a biography that was written by Anna. And Rosa was very determined to have this biography, and she asked Anna if she would write it, and they sat down and really talked through it. So although it was written by Anna and it was published and mostly written after Rose's death, I think we can take it as being very solid, definite fact about Rose's life.
1: I suppose the influence of the author and the subject there might compromise that to some degree. Yeah, but no, that's true. The best sources of information possible.
0: Yeah. The best source of information possible being, you know, someone who had talked very closely with Rosa. She does a sort of section which is mostly Anna's diaries about the time when they lived together. And then she does a section which is kind of Rosa's life before that time leading Mm. up to that time. And she does that in first person from Rosa's point of view. So Mm. it's written as an autobiography, but it's written by Anna from her notes talking to Rosa, which is why I said before it was a ghost written autobiography. So a lot of the quotes I've actually said from Rosa throughout this episode come from that biography. Okay. So Anna's written them down. I'm assuming they're reasonably direct quotes. Mm-hmm. Rosa had actually had her biography, much shorter biographies, written before in her lifetime, but it had always been by men. Some had interviewed her and everything, but they'd always been men. And she had felt that they'd always not given enough importance to Natalie and Natalie's mother and her relationship with them. She could never forget she was talking to a man, so she could never be completely kind of clear and honest about it. Mm. her life and her feelings. Mm -hmm. So she thought that Anna as another woman and as an American who would therefore be probably more progressive in Rosa's eyes than a European Mm -hmm. would make a good biographer for her. Mm. So um, Rosa and Anna moved in together. I mean I guess they were already living together. Anna described their life together as being calm and I think she uses the word monotonous but not in a negative way just in you know. They lived in this nice little cottage in the middle of nowhere and they painted and they went out for walks in the forest and Rosa also had a new studio built for Anna at the house. On the foundation stone, they engraved both their initials. Above the window, the architect put a sculpture of two roses tied together with a ribbon, which was supposed to symbolise Rosa and Anna's relationship. They also had a engraving of wild horses above the fireplace, because when Anna had first met Rosa, she'd been acting as an interpreter for a man from America who had sent Rosa a wild horse for her to paint. Hmm.
2: God, sending a wild horse must be a time.
0: Yeah, the reason that he actually came over from America and met Rosa was because he never got like a response from Rosa saying, Yeah, I got your horse. And he was like, ah!
2: <laughs> what happens when a horse gets lost in the mail?
0: <laughs> the horse did turn up. Rosa. There was just miscommunication, and Rosa didn't realise it was from him.
2: Okay, so she's just like, I guess there's a horse now.
0: Rosa had said, I really wanted to paint some American wild horses. Hmm. She really liked American wild horses. And several people had just sent her horses. And so she received these three wild horses. And she thought, oh, yeah, well, they're all from the one person. It's not like two people sent me horses. So she thanked this one person. But two of them, this one guy, and one was from this other guy. who okay. was like, she never thanked me.
1: Unlabeled wild horse postage conundrum.
0: There is another point, actually, where um, she received a letter from the train station saying, oh, there's two baby cats in a basket here for you to pick up from the train station. And she was like, cool, yeah, I'll come and get the cats, I guess. I wasn't expecting cats. And she went and looked into the basket and was like, those sure are lions. <laughs> <laughs> so people kind of just send their animals to be. It was no. a thing that happened. So she just had adult lions on her property. They were caged or behind a fence in some way. But there's definitely photos of, so. of her like lying down on like a picnic rug with her lion. with her. Oh, like, she, she used to go off and hug them.
1: She was just lying there.
0: She was just lying there, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she just had adult lions and they were kind of fine. They were tame they were tame oh there was one actually i've got so many animal stories that i cut from this that are going in now the first lion she painted didn't belong to her it belonged to a circus owner. I mean, it was part of the circus so she went to see the lion and he was like do you want to paint my lion and she was like "Ah!" and she went to see the lion and she was quite frightened and she was like eh. and natalie was like oh a lion and natalie like went up and played with the lion and everything <laughs> and eventually rose was like this is fine this is all good and it turned out the lion was quite tame and they're like yeah it's actually like pretty house trained and it's like pretty friendly like sometimes it likes to like hide under the bed and and then jump out and scare people. Oh, my
2: <laughs> God.
0: <laughs> oh, can you imagine how
2: terrifying that would be? If you like gone too mad at a lion. A yeah, lion. <laughs> oh,
0: Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love this lion. She went to England. When she went to England for Queen Victoria to see her painting. And she really, she went up to Scotland. Hmm. And she really, really liked Scottish cattle and Scottish sheep. And she cause they looked quite kind of wild. And, you know, like Scottish yeah. cats look different. They're very shaggy. Very shaggy. And so she was really determined to bring some back and she went to this animal market and she bought all these cows and these sheep and she took them back and she was going to get on the ferry and they were kind of like, what? No? Quarantine <laughs> laws exist? And she had to leave them all behind. Uh, that's really she couldn't bring her Scottish livestock back home.
2: I was starting to assume that quarantine just wasn't a thing at this point, given that you're sending wild horses in the mail. Yeah, I don't know how that worked.
0: She also had one of those like, big bear-like fluffy dogs that she got while she was in the Pyrenees. She wrote home and she was like, I've kind of adopted this dog. Like, it's huge. Like, I know this is a mistake, but like, this dog.
1: And then 20 years later, she looked back from astride her lion and was like, that wasn't so bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that was very early in the piece.
2: (laughs) I hope she rode as many of these animals as physically possible. (laughs) I hope so, too. She's on the deer as it leaps into the pond, just like flipping off the
0: (laughs) soldiers. (laughs) Rosa was getting quite old at this point. Uh, she was already 76 when Anna moved in with her. Oh, oh, Yeah, she's she's quite old. Like, she was in her 60s when Natalie died. And she was sort of thinking about her will and plans for her funeral and everything. She wanted to die in Natalie's room in the bed where Natalie had died.
2: That's creepy. I was going to say that's kind of sweet. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's sweet in a gothic novel sort of. Yeah. Way. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so Natalie had died there in Rose's arms, and Rosa wanted to Aww. die there in Anna's arms, and she Aww. said, so in death I'll be surrounded by the women I loved throughout my life. Okay, Aww. yeah, that is
2: pretty sweet. I think they're just also less squeamish about, like,
0: death objects at this time
2: than mm. we are. Yeah,
0: no, I think know? that's very true. We're and not- there is actually a photograph that was taken of her lying in her bed after her death.
2: Yeah, see, so that's...
0: Like, to us, that's just not on, but, like, yeah, that was fine. at the time. Yeah. That's okay. In her funeral plans, she also wanted to mirror Natalie's funeral. Rosa had received the Legion of Honor during her life, and that meant she was entitled to have a military escort at her funeral, and it was probably going to be a very big affair with eulogies and everything, but Natalie had had none of that, so Rosa refused all of that. And she said, I don't want any of that at my funeral, because Natalie didn't get it, why should I get it? She planned to be buried in Natalie's family vault, alongside Natalie and her mother. And she also asked Anna if, when Anna died, Anna would like to be buried there with them as well. And she wanted the epitaph over the grave, which it does, to read Love is a Divine Affection. And she said, Natalie won't be jealous, I know. Her love for me is big enough to understand that when souls share everything, each one's happiness only increases the other's. And another thing that was very important to Rosa, she made the plan for the end of her life, was that Anna would be the sole recipient of her will. As we talked about before, because they couldn't get married, this was mm-hmm. kind of the best she could do for Anna. Mm-hmm. She said, if your family or mine ever separated us and cut short our happiness together, I'd destroy everything here, I swear it.
1: With okay. the bombs still <laughs> in the building? <laughs> yeah.
0: After Rosa died, to just jump forward a bit, Mm -hmm. Rosa's family did try to claim Anna's inheritance, and they accused Anna of hypnotizing Rosa. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Into giving everything to Anna. Uh, Rosa made all these plans, and she died on the 25th of May in 1899. So they'd actually lived together at B for less than a year. But they were very happy for that, less than a year. And she did die in Natalie's bed in Anna's arms, Mm. and her last words to Anna were, I shall be your guardian angel.
1: Aww. oh wow that's very cute
0: just a quick note about her burial rather than choosing whether to be buried in a dress or pants rosa decided to be buried in her nightgown mm. so she didn't have to make that decision and also wearing the laurel wreath that anna had made oh for her. that's adorable anna lived for another 48 years she was a very successful artist a very good portrait painter in 1922 on what would have been Rosa's 100th birthday Anna donated the portrait she'd painted of Rosa to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. She died in San Francisco in nineteen forty two and she was buried with Rosa and Natalie hmm. in Natalie's family grave.
2: Where exactly is that? In what part of France, I assume?
0: I think it would be in Paris, but mm. I'd have to check. God damn it, I was in Paris this year. And um, another thing you should have looked up while you were in France this no. year is that Rose's house where she lived with Natalie and then with Anna is now a museum oh. to her life. And it's set up as a house museum as it was when she left it. That's good. That sucks. I'm sorry. What happened to her animals after her death? I don't know. There was quite a big section in the biography that Anna wrote that kind of talked about how she dealt with rose's estate after her Mm. death which i kind of just didn't look at in that much detail fair enough like i I skimmed it but it wasn't interesting it was all about legal battles over whether she hypnotized rose or not Mm. so probably i could find out except that i returned that book to the library the other day
2: (laughs) we'll never know so we'll never know i
0: don't know what happened to animals yeah okay
2: they just let them all free
0: (laughs) thank you very much for listening we're queer as If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr as Queer Fact. We're also on iTunes. If you listen to us on iTunes, please rate and review us, because that really helps us. And if you want to email us directly, you can at queerasfact at gmail.com. We always welcome suggestions on topics for episodes. This episode topic was suggested to us by an anonymous Tumblr user. So if you want to suggest an episode, please get in touch. And if you're listening to us from Australia, Please remember to fill out your postal survey for gay marriage and talk to your friends and family and encourage them all to vote yes as well. We'll be back on the 1st of November when Hamish will be talking to us about Shelley's leg, one of America's most formational gay bars. Thank you for listening and we'll see you then.